Hello, welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Today I think I've got a really good episode with a really good guest. Gary Cahill has done it all in Irish tennis. He spent 13 years as High Performance Director, during which time he was instrumental in setting up the National Tennis Centre in DCU. He's been captain of both the Irish Davis and Fed Cup teams. And last year he set up Prodigy Tennis, that offers a wide range of services and programmes to help develop tennis in this country. We talk about where tennis started for Gary, his experiences in tennis, his advice for parents, coaches and players, and more. I think it's a really good episode. There's a lot to take from it, and I hope you enjoy. So Gary, if you could have any superpower, what would you choose and, and why? Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe to be able to read people's minds might be good sometimes, especially when you're coaching, when you don't know what people are thinking. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can, you can tell sometimes but other times you don't know and then things uh, can happen in matches for example you don't know what's in the mind so maybe if you could read the minds it might help i could see that coming in handy all right yeah uh, uh, yeah and yeah, so just how has how's life been for you the last couple of months um since since lockdown uh, got started? Yeah, yeah it's been okay i mean you just get used to it the first couple of weeks uh were tricky because you're you know the routine stops very suddenly like it was yeah. almost like it was changed completely overnight and then you realize that there's nothing you can do so you have to just adapt and develop a new routine and start doing things that you probably should have been doing anyway but you never had the time to do them uh so yeah I, look i haven't found it too bad i just you know obviously like a lot of people you're just looking forward to getting back to some kind of normality yeah. again Absolutely. Um, yeah, you mentioned um, adapting there. So what kind of stuff have you been doing to, to adapt um, to the situation, maybe in terms of coaching or your, your academy? Yeah, well, I mean, the academy stuff, we, we didn't do any online coaching. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure about the value of doing like group kind of training online. Yeah. Uh, we have done some physical uh, giving physical programs to athletes and yeah. uh, some of the players that I work with one to one, you know, they have done some technical work during this time and physical yeah. work, uh, but nothing out of the ordinary. Yet. Also, doing some stuff with parents in the last couple of weeks. I you know you, you've been on one or two of them, yeah, yeah, uh, and they've been useful because it's a time when you can get parents together. It's very difficult to get. Like a hundred parents into a room, yeah. So it helps with 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 Zoom and things yeah. like that. Uh, personally, routines. I still get up early in the morning because you know you need to keep yourself active. I yeah. do some physical, and uh, yeah. And then apart from that, I'm just working in other areas so that we're ready to hit the ground running when things do go back. Yeah, do you think there's anything that you've maybe learned from this time or anything you'll take away from it? Or is it just a case of getting through it and getting back to normal as, as soon as possible, do you think? Uh, I think I learned that a tennis set, uh, lesson should never be cancelled because of bad weather. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, if there's nothing else that coaches learn from this, you know, and I'm not talking about uh, like these, you know, doing a technical tactical session but you can always run a physical session yeah you you can always have uh 
you know, meetings with your players. You can, you know, there are things that we can do now that we probably didn't know we could have done. Uh, yeah. So that's definitely something that I've learned from it. I suppose the other thing is the importance of competition for motivation for professional players because yeah. the big problem they're all having at the moment is what do I train for? Yeah. You know, there's no matches. It's difficult to get yourself to the same level of motivation as if you know you're playing a tournament next Monday. You know, so that's been tricky for people. And I think for coaches, parents and players, the lesson there is you've got to periodize your plan so that your matches are there at the right time. Yeah, no, you were saying even there, um, you know, there's no motivation, there's nothing coming up. It's not even that there's nothing coming up. You don't even know when, you know, you don't even know when it might be, if it's even going to be 2020 or into next year at all. You, you just don't have a yeah. clue. Yeah, but I was talking to a coach in Austria this morning and they've already started tournaments. So okay. and Germany started tournaments. So it's like some countries are weeks ahead of where we're at at the yeah. moment. And I know in Russia, they're starting tournaments, money tournaments. Uh, okay. So like, they know there's tournaments about to happen. They just don't know when the ATP and WTA yeah. tournaments and ITF yeah. tournaments will happen. Yeah. You know? um, talking about a, a timeline, when, when would you expect to get back to some, some coaching face-to-face in the academy? Uh, well, the academy's indoors, so that won't happen mm. indoors until September. But like, depending on how it goes, we might do something outdoors before that. Yeah. Uh, but look, we don't know. I mean, there could be another wave. You know, we yeah. could be all locked down again. So you just yeah. can't do it. You, you can't, can't really plan it. No. no, that's it. It's just you just have to see how it goes and kind of plan yeah. as you go. I guess, isn't it? Yeah. And just yeah. to take it back to to where um, kind of tennis started for you briefly. So how how did you get into to tennis and kind of at, at the at the start of the journey? Well, I was from. Uh, I'm from Mullingar originally, and it was quite a it was quite a popular sport in the town because the tennis club was in the middle of Mullingar, and there wasn't much else to do. Uh, we okay. didn't have like we didn't have tons of sports yeah. to go to every day, so you know, we kind of drifted into tennis. It wasn't in the back of the parents. Uh, just ended up going to the tennis club and hitting tennis balls and starting like like that, like most kids did back then it was completely different your first tennis experience were not was not coaching yeah your first experience was playing and then maybe if you got a bit better then you started coaching it was the other way around yeah yeah and so you started then in 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 Mullingar so how was your kind of play your time playing the game like how how did, did you did you play for a long time yeah I played right through I was pretty good junior I would have been like you know Top eight, top four yeah. for a while in the age group kind okay. of thing. So, uh, like, I was okay. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, special. I was okay. And I mean, I played obviously all the tournaments through. And, and I, I like coaching from a, even a younger age, like 19, 20. I was kind of drifting more into coaching. Uh, you know, not because I suppose I saw it as. Uh, a career at that stage I was more doing it like most people started just as a way of staying in the sport and maybe yeah. making some pocket money at the time yeah, yeah, but yeah. then then I, I enjoyed it and thought that it would be a nice way to have a career uh, 
and feel like you never really had to work. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and, how I got into it. Yeah. So, how was that journey then from from starting coaching, as you said, around around nineteen twenty? Then, um, you mm-hmm. know, being appointed the the high performance um director with Tennis Ireland. So, how did you kind of go from from starting out in coaching to kind of the the, the top job, pretty much in, in the country? So I started off coaching. Then I ended up working in provincial programs. We had some good players who came from around the area. Uh, at that time we actually did well then I was asked to go into provincial training then Tennis Ireland uh, uh, they brought in a consultant uh, a Belgian guy called Ivo Van Aken about 14 years ago Uh, he did a review of Irish tennis trying to improve the standard and uh, at that time he asked me uh, to and uh, actually uh, another guy Paul Casey who yeah. is a good coach we worked uh, together that time and then I was asked to take over as a national coach which which was not a full-time job by the way a lot of people think that okay. it was full-time it was a it was very much a part-time job and uh we started with a small group of players that we only worked part-time with as well. So it was nearly the equivalent of what you see now with provincial squads. Okay. And then uh, in Evo's opinion, when he looked at Irish tennis, he talked like other countries, you need to develop a national tennis center because this is the way you, you, you need to go to produce players. And that's where I got involved uh, with him to try and structure what is now DCU. Yeah, so that's no, how I, that's yeah. how I got involved. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I know you were obviously instrumental in in um in creating that national tennis center. So, and that was obviously the first time that we'd had something like that in Ireland. So, what what main challenges did you uh did you encounter in in creating that, and how how were those overcome? I mean, at the time we had a CEO who was, uh, you know, really behind the idea of having a national tennis center and. Okay. Uh, that made it a bit easier because the fund raised and they, you know, borrowed money and they, you know, eventually had the agreement to take some space in Albert College Park uh, to build the National Tennis Centre, which started off quite small. We started off with the four courts and then we gradually expanded the centre. The challenges for us at the time, I would say, well, firstly, to convince players that they need to train the number of hours that they needed to train right because the culture at that stage was players would train three four times a week and that was a lot but in actual fact we knew that the international level players at the same age were already training six days a week uh, they were having a lot of uh, science support around them uh, in some cases they were actually living in the same centers and they were schooling in the same centers uh, yeah. so you know we we had a lot of those challenges to get as well the resources to put what we needed around players because yeah. it really was not, you know, the, we were trying to do it without uh, a big enough kind of budget at that time. So we had to gradually grow it uh, to get to the point that we were at. But the, yeah, I'd say the challenges were, okay, you have to build a coaching team. You need to yeah. have high level coaches. You need to really try and build that. That doesn't appear out of nowhere. Uh, you know, you need to build a facility. That's a challenge. 
you, you need the money to do it. Uh, you need the right leadership in place in the organization to support all those things. So they were all challenges along the way, but we did overcome them. Yeah, so how, how big, you, you did create it, how big a, of a success was, was the National Tennis Centre once you had it in, in operation? Well, you know, we started in 2008, and at that time, there were 28 players ranked internationally. Because okay. at that time, one of the things we did was we looked at international practice and we said, okay, where are we? And what are we going to try and do? And there was, you know, Evo had already agreed with the federation. The first step was a, was a national tennis center. And we went from 28 players ranked to, in 2018, we had 60 players ranked internationally. Okay. So we, we had grown the number of players that were ranked internationally. More players were playing. And we had grown uh, also the level. Because what people don't understand is all the players who played Grand Slams from Ireland in the last 10 years spent time in the National Tennis Centre. Okay. Including okay. Connor. Yeah. Including Sam. He was there for uh, from 13 to 18, five years. Including Simon. Uh all of those guys, including Georgia, she was there from 8 to 15. Right. They all went through the National Tennis Centre. And without having a centre like that, I don't believe we would have had uh, those players coming through yeah. at that level. Because the first thing players need is a good base. And without having the individual approach of to training and the scientific support around players, that's not possible. So when we talk about success, okay, we didn't have an Andy Murray, but yeah. for the for the amount of investment that went into a project like that, you know, I think we did well. There were times when, uh, and and also probably people don't remember this, but you know, going back, I think it was, uh, I think my years are getting a little bit. Uh, 13 was it okay so there was a time when there were two Irish players two boys playing uh, a junior grand slam those two boys actually were some of the first two boys we started with in the national center they both played grand slams together who, who were they? they that was Sam Barry and John Morrissey now John okay. trained in the beginning of his time in the national center and then he did his own individual work with own Casey as well, which is the case in the National Centre. You start players and you give them a base, but they'll also work with their individual coaches, and they should. But we provided a lot of service that these kids and these professional players would not have had unless there was a National Tennis Centre. Yeah. Uh, and there were times when, you know, Connor, James, uh, like, you know, Peter Botwell uh, was in the National Tennis Centre. Like, there were times when all of these guys were, were getting their support, their scientific support, all of this stuff under the same roof. And, yeah, I would say we did a lot of good things. We took tennis from where it was at then uh, to the next stage. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of positives. As I said, we had a lot more players ranked. The rankings were higher. Okay, we didn't have an Andy Murray, but if you want an Andy Murray and you want to have really top, top players we need a bigger investment as well. Yeah. Yeah, now it sounds like that was obviously a really, really successful project. Do you have a couple of, of on-court highlights from, from those, those years um, with, with the National Tennis Centre? 
Well, I, I do think, uh, I mean, one of the highlights was, was the day that uh, Connor qualified for Wimbledon because it was yeah. the first one. Mm. Uh, highlights of juniors and Grand Slams was, you know, really nice to, to experience that and for the team of coaches that were working. It wasn't just me, by the way, for all the guys who were working in the National Centre at that time. Yeah. To experience young Irish players playing in Grand Slams, which was our ambition. It wasn't, you know, we, we had an ambition that we could take players from a young age and get them to Grand Slam level, junior. That was our goal. Yeah. At that stage, some players will decide to go to college. Some players will decide to go on the pro tour. But our first objective was to get juniors into Grand Slams. Right. And that felt like a great achievement for us when you see young kids starting at eight and then you eventually see them in the French Open or Wimbledon or the US Open or Australia. Yeah, they were, they were all nice feelings. But I think probably, yeah, probably from an Irish context, possibly to see Connor. Uh, qualifying for his first slam and then doing it in the US Open a few yeah. months later was was nice to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know while you were you were there, you also spent time as as Davis Cup captain and and, and as Fed Cup captain as well, right? Yeah. And um, so yeah. did you have uh, a separately? Not, not together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, do, do you have a a couple of of overriding memories from firstly the time as as Davis Cup captain? <sighs> uh, what are they? Let me think. Uh, yeah, we had some good ties. Uh, we had a very interesting tie uh, in Egypt when it went an extra day. Okay, yeah. uh, it was quite a long tie where we ended up winning. Sheriff and uh, Gigi had a, a long match that ran to a Monday and we ended up winning that tie, which was which was a really nice yeah, feeling. Great. Although it always feels a bit different when you're away from home. Yeah. And then uh, I suppose uh, I always look back to Barry King's win in uh, in Riverview when we came on to play the fifth rubber, uh, which was which was a nice one because we looked kind of down and out. Uh, we were two one down after doubles, and then uh, uh, Connor had a good win against Jasiri in singles. Mm-hmm. Which when you look back now was a really good win. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Barry won the fifth rubber. So yeah, we we had some really really nice ties and uh, Fed Cup. Yeah, we yeah we we end, we ended up promoting in uh, Mauritius. Okay. And went to Estonia where we had a, a like a really good opportunity to play against. Stony at the time had two top hundred girls. Right. Um, Marit Annie was one of them. Uh, sorry, the second one's gone a bit blank. I can <laughs> picture her, but uh, Canopy was the second one. Oh, yeah. uh, and we had a good experience playing against them on live TV in Estonia. So, yeah, look, okay. they're all really good memories. But Davis Cup is uh, probably the most enjoyable uh, coaching experience because of the fact that you can be on the court and you feel like as a coach you're really part of what's happening. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask then uh, what, what, what you think are the main similarities or differences between the two roles. So you mentioned um, a more, more enjoyable coaching experience in, in Davis Cup. Would, would there be anything else you'd look at in, even in structurally in like the differences or similarities between how the job was for you? 
Davis Cup always got more recognition than Fed Cup. Yeah. It always seemed like we never gave Fed Cup the kind of recognition that it deserved. Uh, the media got more involved in Davis Cup. And I always felt that there's more, you know, we should, Fed Cup is something that, you know, we should do as sport. And I'm not talking about just in Ireland, but as a sport, it should be bigger and promoted more. Because, like, if yeah. you look at the WTA, is promoted uh, as a, you know, as a, I would say, on the same level as as ATP. But yeah. in Fed Cup, always just didn't seem to get the recognition that it should. From a coaching perspective, they were the same. No real difference. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you try your best in Fed Cup and the Davis Cup and you have different personalities always along the way and you deal with that as a coach as you have to. Uh, but I can't say, no, I can't say there were too much differences, but I suppose it goes a bit deeper than that. It goes more to difference between coaching men, coaching women and it's, yeah. they're all different, you know, but equally enjoyable. Um, yeah, so then you, you, you left the, the role in, in Tennis Ireland um, last year, 2019, and you set up um, Prodigy Tennis. So when you set that up, what, what were the main reasons and, and goals um, that you had when you set that up? Well, the reason I set up Prodigy Tennis was because uh, the federation uh, were not in line with the strategy that I had in my own mind about where players should go. Like, I believe you have to have a very individual approach and bring your best players together to a center and surround them with the best coaching and the best type of science that you can possibly give athletes if you want to produce top players. Yeah. And we have, I have to say, the provincial programs do a very good job in Ireland. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's great to see so many players who are training together but even the guys in friendship programs will tell you that really to get players to the top they need more they, they need an individual approach they need to have a lot of service around them and I said a prodigy because I wanted to stay with that approach because it's it's I'm sure and it's what needs to be done and we've proved to show that when we did it we, we actually did well. We were successful with it. So I wanted to continue that. And Prodigy is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really new. It's, it's, uh, sometimes it's quite challenging because, again, you're, you know, you don't have the resources in, in a, a private capacity to put into all these players that you need. Uh, but Prodigy set up to give these players the best possible training we can give them to look after young Irish talents uh, and to steer them in the right direction, whether that is college tennis or it's professional tennis. But as I said, we, we've only started and uh, yeah, it's quite, quite exciting. Yeah, I remember um, last year when you were setting up, seeing the the pictures from you know from from building the courts, um, which yeah. was which was quite it was it was quite has something to see, and um, just seeing everyone kind of get behind it and help out, um, you yeah. know, to set it up. So you know, everyone was kind of really you know behind you as as you set it up. I guess all those people you had involved. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that was just a sign that there were 
people there who had the same opinion and wanted to be involved and help and and it was yeah look it was great a lot of a lot of parents of performance players and yeah you know they yeah they they helped us to set it up and get it off the ground so hopefully hopefully we can keep supporting it. Yeah, now I know one player you, you work with is uh, Vitalia Diachenko. Um, yeah. And you've worked with her for, I think, a few years, and she's in top 100 WTA. Um, so just, yeah. first of all, where did that uh, relationship with her begin? Well, going back uh, six, seven years ago, we made a decision to bring in some uh, top players into the academy because we taught, we taught and this was as a result as well of uh, discussion with the Sports Council, the Irish Sports Council at the time, yeah. we had a conversation around culture and around changing mentality. And we thought, well, look, a good way to do this is to bring in uh, top players to spar and train in our environment, uh, which other sports have done. And uh, we had two players who came in. Uh, Marta Serratina was one, she got the 150, and Vitalia, obviously, who's got right up to 72. And uh, they came in, but they were not there all the time. They were coming in and out, uh, which was fantastic for our players. Yeah. Uh, you know, particularly that time we had the likes of Amy Botel and, you know, people like this who got to spar with these players, uh, gave them confidence, gave them awareness of what the standards were. So it started like that. And then Italia would come over and back, uh, not, I mean, a couple of times a year, max. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, when when I finished with Tennis Ireland, then I just spent the last year doing a bit more with her because I was free yeah. to work with her. Yeah, um, that's that's how it started. Yeah, yeah. And then, so then you've you've been working with her for a while. What's what's kind of the, the highlights from from that time uh, with her so far? Well, it's good for her to obviously break top hundred. Yeah. Good for her to get up to seventy. She's had some very good wins, including I suppose the Sharapova win in Wimbledon was a was a big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that was probably one of the best wins for her. Uh, unfortunately, she had a tough one in Australia with Danielle Collins, but it was really tight, and she's shown that she's she is at the level, and hopefully in the next year to two years she can make a breakthrough to top fifty. Yeah, that's the, that's that's the goal. But yeah, yeah. hopefully she can. Um, you know, I know in Prodigy as well as working with um, having a lot of a lot of junior programs in place, you do also work with obviously some of the the, the top um, Irish players who play um, internationally, like uh, Simon Carr and Amar. Um, so, mm. what are your thoughts on on Irish tennis at the moment and how it might uh, progress in into the future? Well, uh, I mean, this is a this is tough enough. Uh, question and we probably need well I'll go back to what I said and I'll say that we need firstly ambition and I believe that there's a lot of talk there that it's you know not possible and we, we shouldn't be aiming for producing top players it's difficult you hear this all the time that some countries have loads of money they can't do it and I don't believe that I think the first thing we need is ambition if we don't have that we're never going to go anywhere and this idea that 
well, all we can do in Ireland is work with young kids and ship them off to a college because we, we can't do anything else. It's, it's not, as far as I'm concerned, it's not the way to think. I do believe that we should support Irish kids and get them into the best possible US colleges if that's what they want to do. Yeah. But I also believe we need a system in place that if we have players who want to be professional players when they're young, that they're supported. Because if you look at European players and you look at top European players, very few top European players were produced through college. Yeah. That's the reality of it. Uh, there are obviously more Americans, but they're also supported by the USDA. But I believe we should support the players in whatever path they want to go, whether it's good colleges or whether it's uh, professional level. But if we're going to get players to good colleges or professional tennis, you need to have a really, really, really well-structured national center with money. Investment. The players need to be individualized. They need to have all the support around them. Great coaches, great physical trainers, psychologists, nutritionists. You need to be able to give them what they need to get to the level. Because if you look what other countries are doing, they're moving forward all the time with their science, with their support. If we expect that we can put players on artificial grass around the country, it's not going to produce top-level players. You've got to bring the best players together. So, in my opinion, in five years' time, I'm not sure if, if you're going to see Irish players coming through unless these players, uh, unless we start to have very structured programs for these players. Because I can tell you from being in the other federations of the countries, they're doing this. So it doesn't matter if you say, well, we found someone that's this extremely talented kid, but that doesn't matter at the end of the day because there's extremely talented kids around the world. And yeah. if you go back to even kids outdoors, training groups, it's not gonna it's not gonna produce tennis players. Because let's be honest, it didn't do it before. And it didn't do it before two thousand and eight. There were some very good players before that. But a lot of those players before that, you know, they were also coming from having good coaches working individually, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's, that's my feeling. So if you ask me now how I think it's going to be, maybe we'll have this conversation in five years, in five years time. Yeah. And I will know, but that's what I predict happening unless, unless we restructure. I know that, I know that tennis Ireland have, and they're going to present a new performance plan. Uh, I know they're working on it because I was consulted on it. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. And I hope that that's the kind of strategy that they're going to take. And, yeah. uh, and I know that Prodigy will definitely be working on trying to bring in sponsors who invest in our players and try to give them a lot of services that we can. And hopefully we can work together uh, with this strategy if you know tennis Ireland have something in place that will help everybody. Yeah, so I, I guess the end goal that you'd have 
in mind and that you've I know you've worked with um, Vitalia who's who's got to top 100 and top 100 is something you talk about a lot as as a goal what do you think it takes to to break I know you've probably touched on a lot of these points but what do you think it takes to break into the top 100 as a player well first thing you need is uh, you need to have the right uh, mentality uh, that's the first thing and what I mean by that is you need to be resilient because you're going to have a lot of ups and downs in your career you need just 100% commitment to the sport uh, if you don't have that it's going to be very tough uh, you need to have money because without that it's actually impossible which is sad to say but you need to have money uh, and then you need the coaches you need a really good coaches and you need the scientific support because without that you're probably not going to be developed properly as an athlete you're potentially injured you need all of those things around the athlete you need the competition structure around the athlete at the points when they need it and you need the coaches with the athletes in this competition structure then you have a chance to break through uh, but if you leave any of those out, you're playing catcher. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch uh, for a couple of minutes on your kind of advice for, for well, people involved. So um, we'll look at maybe parents, um, coaches, players. So if we start with parents, what, what, what advice do you have for parents of, um, of, of junior players? I know this is something you've you've been working on maybe during this lockdown with your, your webinars on, on Zoom, mm -hmm. talking to some, 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 uh, some famous parents of, of tennis players and other, other sports people. But I guess if you were to give your top um, one or two pieces of advice for, for, for tennis parents, what, what, what advice would you have for them? So the first thing is uh, make sure that you don't spoil your kids. Because, uh, I mean, if you want them to be performance tennis players, they, they have to be uh, mentally strong, uh, yeah. mentally tough, and uh, my advice is to make them as independent as possible when they're young, and uh, okay. try to uh, get them to make decisions, get them to take over their tennis as young as possible. I mean, within reason, you know. I'm not talking about uh, uh, letting your kids walk 10 miles to a tennis court right what i mean i mean uh develop independence you know get them working with uh good coaches and there are a lot of good coaches in ireland so i think you can pick good coaches get them working with good coaches good coaches that have produced players and get them working on an individual basis with good coaches also they're going to do some squad work but don't have it the other way around yeah. don't have all squads knowing get the individual stuff is key and i think that they need to build a relationship get them to build a relationship with a really good coach from from the beginning i think that's critical yeah so i'm just going to move, move on to the coach but before i move on to the coach uh, just a bit, a bit of a segue between the two what, what, what do you think the relationship between parent and coach um should look like uh well i think the coach has got to understand the perspective of the parent and the parent has to understand the perspective of the coach. Okay. And they need to have an agreement somewhere there as to, you know, what are the roles? So the coach has very clear role and the parents have clear roles and try not to cross over those roles, but 
I think you need to have those conversations with the parents about what you're trying to do as a coach, what your philosophy is. And then I think it's also the job of the tennis coach to educate the parents. And then it's the job of the parent to let the coach coach. Yeah. So to get those things right, uh, it's a trust as well between both. And it has to be built up over time. Um, yeah, so to, to move on to coach then, what, what advice do you have for tennis coaches or maybe to put that slightly differently, what, what do you think makes a, a good tennis coach? I think you have to travel. I think a good tennis okay. coach has to travel because you need to be out there. It depends what you want to do as a coach because there are coaches who you know, want to work in clubs and work with recreational players. And if that is your goal, then... You know, you don't need to be out on a tennis tour looking at 12 European championships or the 14th. Yeah. But if you want to be a, a performance coach, you've got to choose what area of performance do you want to work at and travel. Because the best form of learning is not actually coach education programs or courses. It's being out there on the road. That's where you feel the tennis. That's where you see the tennis. That's where you learn more than uh, any... Uh, let's say webinar yeah. uh, or uh, you know a coach workshop you need to be out there seeing what the norms are seeing what the level is if you start off as a coach and you start with a nine-year-old and you're going to work with them for 10 years you need to know what the best players in the world look like at all those stages if you're going to try and produce mm. players that are the best so you need to you need to be out there yeah that makes that makes complete sense. Um, just to move on finally then to to your advice for for the players themselves as for for junior players. So for young, you talking about young kids or what? Kind of um, yeah, maybe if we break it up into maybe two bits, maybe if you say firstly aged maybe eight, nine, ten. Okay, well. At this stage of the development, you're learning the tools, you know, so you're, you're starting to develop the game and you have to focus on getting the basis of the game right. So unfortunately at this stage, you're going to be limited unless you have good technique. So you need to develop the technical skills. Yeah. And sometimes that's not the most fun way, but yeah you have to do it so you have to spend the time developing the skills and practice you have to practice the skills until you can do it with your eyes closed and you can do it without having a clear thought process as to what you're actually doing when you know that something's automatic but that's that's a phase that you have to go through at that age and then looking at um, when you're maybe around uh, 15, so say 15, 16, what, what advice then? Uh, well, at this stage, you, at 15, 16, you're developing your kind of game style, let's say. Uh, you're also developing very much as an athlete. You've gone through your mm. second growth spurt. So you're going to have a lot of time here developing, become a more powerful athlete. You're going to have a lot of time here developing how you're going to play the game uh, in your future career. You're going to be looking at the type of strengths that you have in your game and developing those strengths. So at this age, 
yeah, it's a lot of physical development. Get out there, play the tournaments, learn how you want to play, and I suppose be really you know, aware of what your strengths are and how you're going to maximize those strengths. Don't look at other players and think that you have to be them. You know, more yeah. important to understand how you are going to be as a player because you know there there are differences. There, there may be some things that you have to be able to do. Mm. Uh, so, for example, at this age, the serve is becoming more important. You're already starting to get three points off your serve, uh, and that's normal for. But there are certain things that you can be you know, more individual on, and you're learning those at that stage. Yeah, so I'll just have a, a, a couple more questions for you, Gary. Really yeah. appreciate uh, your, your time no uh, today. Um, well, just a, yeah, a few more more general questions, maybe. What, what's your yeah, what's what's a favorite place you've ever you ever been with tennis? Maybe coaching, most likely. What's your favorite place you've ever been? Funny because they're all the same. Uh, <laughs> you don't really get to enjoy them. Uh, right. You don't really get to enjoy them. I've been in some shitholes, <laughs> but uh, which like you, you nearly get to a stage where. Once they're at a certain level, it's okay because you're going to be in the tennis club and the courts and back to the hotel. But I've been in a few places that were rough. Where's the best place? Uh, I think Melbourne was really nice. Uh, it just it's a like it's a really nice city and it feels more like you're at home. Mm. Uh, so I like I like I like Melbourne uh, and I like Italy. As well, if I were to kind of choose places, Italy yes, in Spain, of course, yeah, more, more of those places, yeah. But there, if you go on holidays, I don't know if I go to, well, I might go to Spain. I don't know if I go on holidays to any of them, but still, you know, when you're, when you're there, you're there. So yeah, and um, well, what's your favorite thing about about coaching tennis? Uh, coaching is kind of one of those things that you end up understanding that you have to take a back seat and watch people develop. And when you get your head around that part, I really enjoy the seeing people developing. And then I also enjoy learning still a lot of new things about coaching so i would say you know just taking yourself out of it seeing people developing and then when something new that you discover or learn it makes me it, it really still motivates me that that piece you know and if yeah. you lose that i think it's very you know, i imagine that that point could be tough to keep motivation yeah so those two things yeah, and that doesn't matter the level, really, whether it's a player, a top player, or a young seven-year-old. Mm. It makes no difference. It's still, it's still uh, motivating. You get the same motivation out of watching a seven-year-old developing as watching, you know, somebody else that's much better. Yeah. Well, so they're the things that I suppose I enjoy most about it. 
Yeah. Um, if for this one, you can kind of take whatever approach you want to this question. Um, if you could change one thing about tennis, um, what, what would you change? If I could change one thing. Uh, uh, look, I, I wouldn't change the rules. Uh, okay. No. WTA have started coaching on court, which is nice, but I'm not sure if I change it in, in all tournaments. Uh, I think the money thing is a problem for players and it's becoming now a bigger issue. Mm. It's nearly like there's some kind of financial doping uh, for athletes because uh, players who have a lot of money can invest more in themselves and the lower ranked players are finding that it's harder to get up because you know, they don't have what top players have. But then I would also say that they were also lower ranked players at a point. They didn't have the same money then either. Mm. You, you know what I mean? There was a point yeah. when, although some of them didn't spend long, there was a the point where someone like Malik Jasiri that we spoke about earlier, saw him in futures for a long time. Yeah. Sometimes he was on his own. He had no coaches, he had no physical trainers. But when he broke into the top 100, top 80, he had coaches and trainers because he could mm. afford to pay for them. So there is that point that you need to get up there to have these things, you know? Yeah. You need to show that you're good enough to get these things as well. Yeah. So, but it should be spread out. I think if you're around, you know, 300, you should be able to make a living mm. from the tour. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, if you get to that stage and you're playing qualifying on slams and you're playing the highest level challengers, I do think that the money is too low. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think if I could change anything, would spread the money out a bit more. Yeah. 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 Um, I must say, Gary, I think we'll, we'll leave it there. So just th thanks so much for no uh, for coming on and talking today and, and, um, and I guess good luck with, with all your, your work in Prodigy and, and all the other work you're doing. I hope everything goes well. Uh, yeah, and good stuff. You promote Irish tennis. Uh, I see your your Twitter and stuff, and mm. well done because uh, I think the players need the promotion. It helps them to hopefully find some sponsors eventually. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's good. Hey, well, thanks, thank, thank you, thanks very much. Okay, good stuff. All Super. the best. Yeah. Big thanks again to Gary for taking the time to talk. And thanks to you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe, uh, leave a review, like us and share it with anyone else you think might be interested. I hope you're keeping well. If you're back to tennis, I hope you're enjoying it and staying safe. And until next time, I've been Adam, your host. Goodbye.